Sit down. Be quiet. Raise your hand. No talking. See, the smell of my classroom is noxious, like chemical weapons dropped on civilians by dictator regimes. I guess there's not much civil about civil wars, conflicts, or classrooms. It's all just combat for contract. Symptoms of the condition develop shortly after contact, like amnesia. Taking us back to some time before 1954, pre-Brown versus Board of Education, the smell is reminiscent of Plessy versus Ferguson through this classroom. Is just a size of hopelessness. What does it look like to live according to your own rules? To push back against society that tries to tread on your most authentic, enjoyed, filled life? Join me, your host, Renee, as I have conversations with women who share their origin stories and how they pushed back against the status quo to stand up for what they want their lives to resemble. A little bit of relationships, career, parenting, pop culture, and everything in between. It's about to get real. So stick around and, like, don't shred on me. Hello, beautiful listeners, and welcome back to the show. I'm really excited for today's episode because it features our very first guest and interview, poet performer, educator, Liz Prisley. And we'll get to that in just a moment. You might be wondering why I'm a little late to the party here, and I've decided to switch episode release day to Fridays. Kick off the weekend, have more time to engage on social media. So sorry about the shift, but that's what we're doing from here on out. At the time this episode is posting, We will most likely hear from the Supreme Court about their decision of Roe v. Wade. And given the title of this podcast and what we're here to do, you can be sure that I'll be talking about that next week. I first met Liz Presley in 2014, where I had the privilege of working with her in the inter-school poetry slam she started, and she is a phenomenal performer. So without further ado, our interview with Liz Presley. All right, I'd like to welcome our very first guest to the podcast, Liz Presley. Thank you for joining me. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. So Liz, who are you and uh, what do you do? Yes, I'm a poet and educator and intersectional feminist and uh, Froyo lover. Um, (laughs) I am the executive director of Heard'em Say Youth Arts Collective, which is a Tampa Bay area nonprofit dedicated to empowering young people to share their voices uh, and advocate for the things they care about in their communities. Um, And... Yeah, I think those those are the highlights anyway. So I have been to a couple Heard Him Say shows before. Um, I think at the time they were, what I attended was a, a poetry slam. How is that different from what you're doing now with it? 
Yeah. So we still run a open mic the last Friday of every month. Uh, we started back in person this last fall. We're in a little black box theater that's inside University Mall called Uptown Stage. Um, and so competition has on and off been an element of what we do at Heard Him Say. Um, so our core programs are our monthly open mic. Uh, we started publishing a literary magazine during COVID as we were brainstorming what our stages, platforms that young people can put their voices on that may not be an in-person platform since um, things were closed down for so long. And a lot of our local venues have um, really struggled uh, with those closures. And so over the years, we have put together uh, poetry slam teams that travel and compete uh, and I think we will certainly get back to that someday. Uh, right now, we're in a bit of a rebuilding phase. So we weren't allowed to be inside Hillsborough County Schools in 2020 and 2021 um, in order to recruit young people. So we partner with Hillsborough County in producing their Poetry Jam program, which is somewhat similar to the Interschool Slam League we worked on together in Pinellas. Uh, but we only go one time for a day to each high school that signs up for it uh, and do a day-long uh, workshop and then competition. I loved when we were uh, doing that Slam League in Pinellas that it was, I mean, once a month, I think I got to come and do workshops, which like really helps with that um, like consistency and letting new writers like get a feel for it. Um, but anyway, so heard him say now, definitely we run the monthly open mic we have the literary magazine. Uh, we just had a talent show competition back in May, which is like our first foray back into competition. Um, and so looking to to build towards that too. So I'm curious, what is your origin story and that led you to where you are today and the work that you do? I started creative writing in elementary school. And it was a place where I could write down all the things I was thinking and feeling. I think at the time, I felt like a very pent up little kid who didn't know how to express herself. And so creative writing just gave me the freedom to do and say whatever I wanted on the page. And it could be real, or it could be fictional, or it could be just fictional enough to like, passes fiction and allow me to like hide behind characters in, you know, short stories or in poetry while still like telling parts of my truth. And so I remember my mom busted out this box of like old work from my elementary school days um, because she was a like low key hoarder of like all our childhood memories. And I was like encouraging her to throw stuff away, but I found this essay that I wrote in like fourth grade. that was really more poem than essay. And like the teacher's feedback on it and like red pen was you repeat yourself too much. This isn't an essay. <laughs> um, <No. laughs> and so I think like, <laughs> I know, like that, that influence of feeling like I'm pushing back against things that felt like they were restricting me, I think has really like carried through my origin story. Um, you know, because I think to college, I did uh, a bachelor's in English with an emphasis on creative writing. And 
one of the creative writing poetry workshops that I was in, uh, I was out here writing about um, how like girls were being raped in my apartment complex in Orlando because like, you know, crime in that area was relatively high or um, there was like this unsolved mystery of a, a guy who had died in like, you know, a neighbor's backyard and like no one knew how he got there. And it, it was, you know, so I like was writing a poem about that and um, writing a poem about like dress code things or whatever else and sharing it in this workshop. And I remember getting feedback all the time from my f- fellow poets, um, not so much the instructor, but I remember other poets saying like, um, your stuff doesn't really rhyme and maybe it, it should have more things about nature in it. Um, and so I wrote this really obnoxious, poem in response to that that like had a super strict rhyme scheme and like meter <laughs> and, and it was like really annoying um and I think I found it some years ago um but I think like those are moments that made me realize that that poetry can be a tool to help create more of your own reality or help tell your story in a meaningful way and and to push back against you know, the, the people or the things or the systems telling you that you can't do it. Um, and it wasn't until I found spoken word poetry, uh, probably in like 2012, I want to say, um, that I really felt like I came home to an art form. You know, I think a lot of traditional page poetry, uh, when you look at what gets published in traditional literary journals, um, it's certainly rapidly changing over like the last, I want to say five to 10 years, but you know, it Mm -hmm. certainly hasn't caught up with, you know, the academic world rarely, you know, is in tune or in step with like what's happening in the day to day. Um, You know, but I didn't feel as home in traditional poetry spaces as I did in spoken word spaces, because there was this like power of emotion that often came with the poetry that was being read. And, um, you know, I also am a very comfortable public speaker. I think I had a really awesome public speaking class in college and like, you know, it transformed the way I looked at standing in front of people and saying things. Um, and so then I was also a teacher for some time before I started performing spoken word. And so I taught composition and grad school, um, as a teaching assistant. And then, was an adjunct for many years. Uh, and so I think like that comfort of, you know, you just come up with stuff to say in front of your students sometimes to like get you from one moment to the next. And, you know, so like that comfort level played a role in like my comfort with being on stage and performing. And, um, you know, it really felt, uh, just, yeah, like a, like a home coming to an art form of like, yes, this is what I've always wanted poetry to be, um, to connect me and an audience together and then also to be an art form that would help carry a message that, you know, could influence hearts and minds and make people question what they think about the world and how they see themselves. I love that. No, I love that. Influence hearts and minds. You said that writing and poetry allow you to talk about the things that are trying to push against you. Um, and so Part of my goal in this podcast is to kind of flip the phrase with some sarcasm, like don't tread on me on its head. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, like either for you as a woman or as a poet, however you want to answer, 
How do you feel like society is treading on you? I think I've struggled, and this is in the content of my poetry as well, but I've struggled for a long time with being sexualized first and then like being a human being later. Um, and I see that in the way that I am treated, you know, in performance spaces in the poetry community. Um, or I look at sometimes, which I, you should totally never read the comments, but sometimes I read the comments on my YouTube videos. Uh, and so I have a poem that was talking about, you know, institutionalized racism and education and things like that. And like half the comments are talking about the shape of my body and how it jiggles in, in the poem, you know, like in the video and, um, you know, or like I've written content talking about sexual assault and pushing back against rape culture. And, and then the comments on all those videos are like, you know, well, this girl just needs a good words that I don't know if like you want said on your podcast or not, but you know, like something Mm -hmm. explicit and sexualized. And so I think I've constantly been trying to find space to exist as like a non-sexualized being, but then like also realize that the only power I found for a long time, like in my teens and twenties was what I guess I would call like a sexual power is like, that's how I could influence the people around me, or it's how I could get what I wanted when people didn't believe I would, I was smart. I could wear a low cut shirt and they, you know, and then, and still get the same result. Um, and so like this, this back and forth of struggling with like embracing or rejecting that sexualization and, and how that really shaped, I think my identity as a woman and thinking about like how I exist in the world. And I think that's something that I've spent a lot of time personally and professionally, like pushing back against. I think since the time I was exposed to slam poetry um, and the button poetry channel, I, f- I found that online, it really just started to take off. And now I'm seeing some spoken word through TikTok and Instagram. So what, what would you say as someone who's in the field is one of the biggest challenges either facing current poets or poets on the come up? Like what are some challenges? I think there's still a challenge for those new avenues of expressing yourself um, to be legitimized and taken seriously. Uh, I think that in my experience of the spoken word community over about the last 10 years, there's been this um, almost like disdain for spoken word poets or you know, folks encouraging performance poets to learn how to do things more like a traditional page poet, like publish, get your, you know, get legitimate credit. So, you know, the publication of a video and a million views on it doesn't count as a publishing credit for, you know, a a traditional application to a residency or um, for funding a fellowship. Uh, And so... Mm. I think that I see that same trend happening with poets who have used Instagram um, to come up in the world or TikTok. And I think that art is really about connecting with people. And if you have avenues to connect with an audience, like that's valid, that's legitimate, you know? And I see poets like I'm super excited. I think it's next week. Uh, Rupi Kaur is coming to the Strass Center and she is an Indian poet and 
she was one of the the first to kind of pioneer Instagram poetry in the sense of having short, concise poetry with some, you know, doodles and drawings that go with it that like works really well as an Instagram post that you can share. Um, you know, and she has an incredible book published of that work. And she's now touring internationally around the world with that work. And, you know, but I still see comments over the years questioning her validity because of the audience she's choosing to share her work with or to appeal to. And, and I think that it's this wave that seems to happen again and again, you know, from the time that, that poetry first got published to the masses and, you know, that, oh, they, that there's always this, um, oh, that's not legitimate. That's not real. And I think that we continue to have that pushback, whether it's spoken word, whether it's Instagram, whether it's TikTok. And it's like, I think all of those are valid ways of reaching an audience and so much easier to access than buying a, a tomb of literature with like super expensive poetry inside written by people who like are no longer alive and whose lived experiences have nothing to do with mine. Um, so yeah, I guess I would say just like that fight for legitimacy when it comes to representing yourself as a professional artist um, for future opportunities. All right. So when thinking about diverse voices um, in the poetry community, it is June. It is Pride Month. Um, can you talk a little bit about the connection or your connection to LGBTQ plus poets um, and maybe even talk about some that our audience should listen to or read? Yes, absolutely. There are so many incredible ones. Um, so I'll start with locally to the Tampa Bay area, Sam Obey, who is a close friend of mine. Um, she is also a phenomenal poet and artist. Um, and then branching out further, I would say Ebony Stewart is an incredible uh, spoken word poet and performer. Um, she is from Texas. Uh, and I just love everything she does. Um, I have both of her books, uh, one of which just got published by Button Poetry in like the last few months. Um, and then also in the news recently, uh, Fatima Asgar, she is um, a queer Muslim poet uh, who wrote a book of poetry that has really inspired me called If They Come For Us. Uh, and is actually one of the, I believe this is accurate, but one of the staff writers on the new Miss Marvel, um, show, I think it's a TV show that just came out. Yes. Yes. Um, and super fun to follow on Instagram, uh, because she's always out there doing something awesome. Um, but I would say like one of the first open mics that I even started attending in the Tampa Bay area is one um, that used to exist called oral fixation. And it was, uh, an LGBTQ centered open mic run by two queer poets of color. Um, and it was just always like a much safer feeling space than a lot of the other scenes in the area, which were more often than not run by cis straight men. Um, and so I think like those spaces have always been safer and more inviting and more inclusive and welcoming. Um, and so I think that's a hundred percent a reason that I have gravitated towards a lot of those spaces and those poets. If you could give some advice to someone who is looking to either write, perform or publish their writing, what would you say? Do it. 
definitely do it. All of the barriers are in your mind. Um, also, uh, so I am in the process of submitting to a lot of journals for publication, uh, partly to build up the resume of traditional street cred, um, you know, publication and literary journals. And it's interesting to take work that you perform and put it on the page and submit to journals. Um, and you get lots and lots and lots of rejections. And so there's this community I joined this last year uh, that another fabulous queer poet, um, Megan Fally, uh, she has um, a writing class she teaches called Poems That Don't Suck, uh, which is a little like tongue in cheek because you have to write a lot of poetry that does suck until you get to work that doesn't. Um, and so I think viewing writing as the same as any other skill or habit has been super helpful for me. Like it's something you have to exercise regularly or it gets rusty. Uh, and you have to make space for yourself to be creative. Um, so one of the, the folks that I work with that heard him say, Curtis Davis, um, he talks about just making time in his day to be creative whatever that looks like or means. And that in that space where he creates time for himself to be creative is when he starts to write, but he doesn't have to write every day. Um, you know, sometimes it's doodling. Sometimes it's like being outside, taking a walk. Um, you know, and I think that if you don't leave space for your brain to just wander, you lose that, ability to be creative and you just have to keep bringing it back. Um, I know when I'm like overscheduled and doing too many things, it's hard to sit down and write a poem. Um, and so like finding a time of day that works for you or a routine where like every morning with your coffee, you jot down a few lines um, has really helped me view writing differently. And so the advice that I would give is like write regularly, write when it's awful because you have to write all of the awful stuff out before it gets good. Um, and then my other advice would be not to be afraid to edit. Uh, I think when I first started writing, I never edited cause I didn't know what to edit for other than like a misspelling or punctuation. Um, but I've learned that I can be really creative in a revision process and think outside the box and like shake things up and help my brain look at my work differently. And so that's been like an exciting journey with Megan Fally's class to look at really creative ways to revise your work, to make it better and better and better. And it does get better. Where can the audience connect with you? Yeah. Uh, so they can check out my Instagram, uh, is just my name, Liz Prisley. Uh, can head to my website too, lizprisley.com. It connects to a couple of my YouTube videos. Um, and I think all of my social media, I am more of like a lurker than a poster on Facebook. Um, so like, I'm not really doing much there. Um, so like Instagram is really where it's at. Uh, although like solidly half of my Instagram content is like cats or waffles. Um, I have to take this moment to plug my favorite restaurant ever as pop goes the waffle and Gulfport. Uh, they started as a food truck, uh, many a year ago and I discovered them during COVID. Um, and so I post a lot of waffle content and cats and social justice. And it makes sense. 
Schoolhouse doors have often been carved into cookie-cutter formations shaped just right for cultural assimilation. Imagine, single-filed into a room with no windows, one door, desks bolted to the floor, chairs attached to just the right size to fit only one body type, forced to face forward for this is the only important direction. Pay attention. Sit down. Be quiet. Raise your hand. No talking. Face forward. Eyes on your own paper. Don't talk to your neighbor. Can you hear our subtext? That is the poetic prowess of Liz Prisley. The excerpts you heard were from her poem, Old Factory, performed during her TEDx talk at USF St. Pete. I'm going to post all of Liz's contact info, the poet she mentioned, as well as the organizations in the show notes. And, you know, all this talk of spoken word and poetry has me thinking about a few questions. So for this week's challenge, I want you to think about the following. When did you first hear your voice? What are you using your voice for Or what do you wish you would use your voice for? Go on to Instagram at like don't tread on me pod or the email like don't tread on me pod at gmail.com and tell me what you're thinking. Share your stories about your voice. And uh, if you would be so kind to get some traction going in the Apple store for podcasts, leave a review, write something about the show um, so we can try and get some more um, listeners on board. I hope you enjoyed Liz's interview as much as I enjoyed talking with her. So that's a wrap. Until next time, be well and do everything with love. (laughs) 